outstanding hundred for an outstanding cricketer. And a statement of the highest quality from Steve Smith. The Sheffield Shield trophy is moving north. Queensland have dominated all four days at Allen Border Field to take out their ninth trophy. Carlos Brathwaite, remember the name. History for the West Indies. One of, if not the greatest, Test match innings ever played. England triumph here against the odds. Ben Stokes is the hero. Hello and welcome to the Inside Edge Cricket Podcast. I'm Wes Cusworth. On this week's show, I'm joined by Mark Browning, Mark Brunger and Tom Meredith. In this episode, we reflect on what has been a terribly sad week in Australian cricket with the passing of Australia's greatest ever bowler, Shane Warne, and Rod Marsh, a man who revolutionised the role of wicketkeeper batsman. We also look at a first test result in Pakistan that proved to be a torment for bowlers of all types. As we begin, we particularly want to welcome our friends in Perth through 91.3 Sport FM. Mark Rowney, I want to start with you. Back in 2004, you published a tribute to Australia's iconic knockabout gloveman Rod Marsh entitled Rod Marsh, A Life in Cricket. How do you describe the impact that Rod Marsh had on our great game? Well, first thing I'll say, Wes, is, uh, you know, in a country in turmoil with floods and uh, the, the horrors of the war in Ukraine, uh, it probably was even heightened more by the fact this bizarre, tragic weekend of two icons of the game passing within a couple of days of each other. Um, so, uh, firstly, it was Rod Marsh, of course, and yes, a huge impact on the game. I, my my impression of him, studying him, writing about him, thinking about him, was he was probably of that seventies era into the eighties, the most lovable of or loved of all of those icons of Australian cricket, along with probably Doug Walters, but for different reasons. Um, and it's interesting because my, my lovely wife, Chris, who is also a cricket fan, when I met her and when we were in our mid-teens, I asked her whether she liked cricket and who she liked in the team, the Australian team, and uh, she said Rod Marshall's her favourite player. And I think that was the case with a lot of people. They loved his attitude. He was knockabout, but he was also very dedicated and as was mentioned, probably the best ever Australian we could keep a standing back. So uh, he always had a strong interest in who he was and what he did. And, of course, his contribution after his retirement was also fantastic. Uh, as the head of the, uh, the academy brought through uh, in Adelaide, brought through so many great Australian players and uh, then, of course, had a similar role in England and was part of the mastermind team crew that got together and in 2005 stole the ashes back from australia for the first time for england um for what was it 16 years so yeah huge impact on the game arguably in some ways as much as uh as big an impact as shane warne Mm. i i can go back to my, my first visions of uh of rob marsh is, is world series cricket um back in in the late 70s that's when i first started paying attention to cricket and all i can remember of of marshy is that that he was you know he had uh you know legs like billiard 
table legs. Um, but you would 100% guarantee that he would leave 110% on the wicket whenever he went out there to keep or to bat or whatever he was going out there to do, he would give his absolute best and you knew it was going to be a dogfight when Marshy was out there. And I can recall many occasions where in the in the one-day format of, of the game uh, where Marshy would come out and swing the bat and you'd always be excited when he come out. It's a bit like um, Mitch Stark when he comes out. You just don't know what's going to happen. And, th and that was the thing with, with Marshy is that you just knew he wasn't going to give up his wicket without a fight. He, he bled green and gold and he was just giving everything and 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 the partnership that he had with dk lily was you know one of the best bowler keeper combinations of all time and and you know he was he was someone that that obviously took from cricket in terms of his career but he also gave back in bucket loads too and i think that's that's the way to reflect on rob marsh's influences that yes he rode the road ride and and you know got got what he could from out of the game but he gave it back in absolute spades with, with both, you know, nurturing some great Australian talent through the academy and he really earmarked and, and set Australia up very strongly with, with that academy. And then to do the same again for the old enemy um, was, was just wonderful. So he will be sorely, sorely missed. And um, I can only imagine how, of course, our program going to Perth, I can only imagine how his mate DK Lily would be, would be feeling right now. Tom, no doubt you'll have an interest in uh, a wicketkeeper batsman of the calibre of Rod Marsh. And whilst I dare say that um, you really can only capture something of Rod Marsh from video and photos and the like, but no doubt you've heard a great deal. Yeah, I must admit, I, I don't know a, a huge amount about Rod Marsh uh, as much as some of the guys on 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 this panel. But from from what I have heard and, and seen, and um, he, he is he's one of the the kind of the forefront wicketkeepers of of his generation and, and probably ever. Um, I think in terms of standing back, as as one of the boys said b b before, he was probably the um, he sh he showed the way in, in how to do that. I've seen some amazing one handed catches since his passing, um, which which were probably before his time um, and set the standard for for keepers everywhere. But I think yeah, Mark Browning is obviously the the expert here, so I'd, I'd lean. Lean a bit more on Mark, I think, to to give a, a fit, more fitting tribute than I can to um, to a legend like Rob Marsh. Well, Mark, as, Mark, as Mark Runger said, he he was ahead of his time, and he was really the first Australian wicketkeeper batsman. If you look at the record of the guys that preceded him, and there were some great names: Grout, Oldfield, uh, Hanson Carter, Kelly Blackham, going right back into the nineteenth century. None of them had scored a Test century. So Mars got three test centuries, including the really famous one in the centenary test, uh, when Rick McCosker came out and batted with him for a time with with a broke sway his chin swathed in bandages because he had a broken jaw. So that was also groundbreaking, uh, certainly from an Australian point of view, and that was kind of what got him in the side in the first place. Because those of us who know the uh, the story well would would remember that he was called Iron Gloves his first Ashes series. Um, he he put down a few chances uh, very early on, but was taken into the team as sort of the man to stick with. Right, he was twenty three, the man that we they were going to back uh, for the for the long term, despite the fact that he missed a few chances early. And he certainly turned himself into a, a better, a, more of a keeper batsman than batsman keeper, which is maybe what you 
um, had early. Um, he might have had a test century in his, actually his first summer, but Bill Laurie declared on him at the MCG when he was 92 not out. <laughs> I was there that day and there were there were quite a few people sort of looking askew at each other up and down the um, seating areas of the MCG going, what has Bill done? He's declared on Marsh and, uh, off when he was 92 and, um, and he hadn't made, no wicketkeeper had made a test century. So, yeah, some great stories about him. Um, and that partnership with Dennis Lee, of course, iconic. Uh, Mark, uh, you mentioned the Iron Gloves in his in his debut uh, series when he made his debut against England in the 1970 series, and um, that sort of stuck with him for a while. But he didn't get the best of receptions at the SCG, did he, when he made his debut there? He replaced Brian Tabor, who was the, the local lad who was wicketkeeper, and uh, the New South Welshman, I think it was fair to say, were pretty dirty on... Uh, on Rod being uh, selected as the keeper? Yes, they didn't rate him very highly and uh, he'd had some pretty negative press from the uh, sort of the New South Wales section, you know, the Jack Fingletons and Bill O'Reilly's didn't rate him very highly early on. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he did it tough, and it, but it, it, he, it really gave him a thick skin and he came back the next season fitter and... In better form, and and he turned obviously he turned it turned it around, you know, by within a year or two, everybody said, you know, he's a great player. The seventy two Ashes series was a real landmark for Ian Chappell's whole side, uh, but especially Rod Marsh, and they lost the first test at Manchester. But he on the last day when the game was virtually won and lost, he smashed ninety one and uh, put on a, a, a century partnership with uh, the mystery spinner Johnny Gleeson, who got thirty odd. Uh, hit Norman Gifford out of the attack for 29 or three overs, all these sixes at Manchester. Um, so that sort of made people sit up and take notice and go, wow, this guy's got something. And he st- and he started holding his catches standing back too. Really. At Lords, when Massey took his 16 wickets, he was diving all over the place, um, holding, holding his catches. So, yeah, people really got on board with the Marsh the Marsh Wagon at that stage and stayed there right through. It was interesting that after he came back from World Series cricket, his batting fell away. But he's keeping on his in his last test at the SCG against Pakistan when Greg Chappell and Lily's last test too was was just as outstanding as it as it had been, you know, once he once he sort of nailed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't drop his standards at all in that in that respect. Although his batting fell away a bit. He 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 Kept wicket to some some pretty ferocious customers, of course. Dennis Lilly, who was very quick. Jeff Thompson, who, yeah, no thanks, I don't want to face Jeff. Um, but also in the World Series cricket days, yeah, people like, you know, Lenny Pascoe was someone who we had to had to keep to. So he really had to to refine that art of keeping back because that's pretty much what Australia's bowling attack was at that particular time. Yes. Look, he was he was a Physically a tough man. His hands took a pounding when uh, Lily and Tomo really blitzed the the English in uh, 74-75. But I suppose, of course, that was that team. One little doubt over them was that they sort of introduced the concept of sledging. And and I, and I actually got to interview Tony Gregg one day about this, and I asked him about the Australian team that he played against in the 70s. And he said, Ian Chappell, yes, he, Ian Chappell had plenty to say, but he said, Marshy, no. So he was actually very popular with the English players. Um, I also read a Mike Brearley book and, and he singled Marsh out as being a, a real um, 
a really good ornament to the game in terms of his attitude to cricket. And we saw that reflected, you know, before he went to the academy in England, he said that, you know, cricket needs England to be, to win the Ashes at some stage. I'm going to go and help them do it. And as I said, in 2005, you know, anyone who had a hand on that 2005 Ashes series uh, deserves credit because, because that, probably was the greatest Ashes series of all time, as much as it hurts me to say it because England snuck home. Um, yeah, that was just phenomenal. I, I was lucky enough to be there for three of the test matches and it was just, it took up, it, it pushed the English Premier League off the, off the newspapers, which never happened before or since from any other sport. Well, I suspect that there was some other news uh, and sadly tragic news that may have pushed most things off the front of newspapers right around the the cricketing world, uh, and that is the death of Shane Warne. And, and Tom, my understanding is that it was really seriously and um, tragically felt over in England as much as it has been here in Australia because, of course, Warne, he spent a lot of his time in England. He really did, and, and it's amazing. It's been amazing to see the the outcry of emotion in, in England for for an Australian like Warne, and, and it kind of sums up what the English thought of him and how highly regarded he was over there. Um, he was an idol over there, even though even though he tormented England at every occasion. Um, the English love a, a kind of broken um, icon in somewhere, not a broken, but a an icon that that isn't that is rough around the edges and um, like your Eric Cantona's, like, like your Paolo Di Canio's. It, these guys become icons in. In English sport, because they are they're not perfect, and I think that is kind of why the Brits loved Warney because he was such a world class, elite level spinner. But he also loved the beer. He loved the laugh. Um, he was one of the boys. He wasn't perfect, um, which the English love, and and he, he typified what Australia is to to English people, and I think. Um, you saw the outcry of emotion. There was a 15-page spread in one of the, the the English newspapers this week, all dedicated to Warren. Um, the, apparently, the, there was a, a dedicated day on Sky Sports News to Warren, which never happens. There's been documentaries on all all of the time um, about Warren, about his career. Um, he was loved in England, it, and it, it, it apparently I was speaking to my parents and a few friends. It, it kind of had the feel of the the Steve Irwin death, in a way, all those years ago, of that that Australian icon that the British people connected with so much, and that that is the vision of Australia: their their sport, their their the Steve Irwins, their the the kind of animal lovers, and that this this death of Shane Warne had that kind of feel of a national icon has gone, both someone who is an icon here, but also also in England, and such a sad such a sad day, and this one. Albeit, yeah, Rod Marsh was was a, was a legend and 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 also took us by surprise. This one completely took us by surprise because it was it was not meant to happen, and he was as relevant as ever. I think that's the hardest thing to take. He was his voice was everywhere. He was he was in the news all the time. He was broadcasting at home, abroad, um, IPL, BBL. He was everywhere, and then the next day he's gone. So. That's what makes it so hard to take with Warney. Um, and such a sad time for, for him and his family and 
um, and the sport of, of cricket. I don't know about the, the rest of you gentlemen, but um, I, I woke up in the early hours of, of Saturday morning to my phone going off and that's a rather unusual thing for me uh, to happen. And it was a message from my best friend who happened to message me and said, you know, have you heard this has happened? And like like a shot out of a cannon straight onto social media to try and see if I could, you know, validate from a credible source that, that it was true. Um, and, and once I did, I was I was absolutely gobsmacked. I, I, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. And, and, in fact, I posted on Facebook the next day a comment saying that I was hoping to wake up in the morning and it was all just a bad dream and that it really wasn't true. But, unfortunately, it was. He he, he transcended everyone. As you, you talked about there before, Tom, about flawed geniuses. And I think Warney very much is a flawed genius. Like, you know, he liked the beer. He liked the dart. He liked his ham and pineapple Hawaiian pizzas. He liked baked beans. He liked Vegemite on toast. He liked all those things. He liked to be with his mates. He talked to anyone, do anything for anyone, that sort of thing. And that just endears people to the to the Australian public when they're, when they're like that. And there's so many outpourings of stories that have happened over the last, you know, three or four days about things that, that warnings done for different people that you have absolutely no idea about until something like this happens. And I think people see him as, um, you know, one of them who just happens to be able to be one of the wisdom five best cricketers of, of all time. You know, he's just an absolute... Mm. you know great of the game and i think the feeling for me personally is is like i actually felt like i'd lost a dear friend myself you know and and it's like the only what the only probably other the only other recent comparison to that that i can feel is for bert newton who was a, a great icon of, of my life and 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 someone who i looked up to as a performer and thought he would live forever and and Warney's the same. You mm. just don't think that they're going to, um, you know, to to you know, to, to pass away. And I think the interesting thing, gentlemen, that we we all need to take out of it. And and I know uh, Wes Cusworth posted this on his social media on the weekend, but it was the comments of Simon O'Donnell, who, in paying tribute to to the great Shane Warne, sort of, you know, said, "I'm sick of, of sitting here and talking about my old mates and my old friends who have passed away." and we're telling them how we feel about them after they've gone. So how about we start sort of, you know, telling each other how we feel about each other and, and letting each other know because you just don't know when your time is up. And and, and once again, the Shane Warne situation has absolutely proved that. It's devastating for his family, his young family. Um, you really, really feel for them. And, and, you know, as much as he's an Australian and a world icon, he, he's a Victorian icon and, and, you know, so many Victorians felt like they had their heart ripped out on the weekend um, with with the announcement of the, the death of Shane Warne. And, and I think um, that the the memorial service or the state state memorial service at the MCG on the 30th of, of March will be, um, you know, they're saying it's going to be a celebration of his life and I'm sure it will be, but it will also be a very sobering moment too, I think, Mark Browning. I absolutely, Mark. I think for me personally, the significance will be that um, I, I reckon he's, it's, it's only happened a couple of times in my life. John Lennon was another one where you'll always remember where you were when you heard the news. Mm. Uh, you know, to me, it almost feels like it was only 10 minutes ago that he was taking that 700th wicket at the MCG. It's, mm. it's not long enough ago 
it doesn't feel right. It, it's I still struggle to get my head around the fact that he's gone because he was just had the documentary come out yeah. uh, a year or two ago. I just finished. Well, he had a book come out. I just finished reading it earlier this year. Now you look back and you think it was almost like he was laying his life before us. That was all he was going to have. You know, it was almost like he he had a premonition or something. I'm also slightly annoyed with him. Uh, silly to say, I know. But, you know, it was too soon. Like, mate, why didn't you look after yourself? Um, you know, what about your kids? And Michael Vaughan said it, and a few of Ian Healy mentioned this too, about his lifestyle. And uh, Michael Vaughan said he had Christmas. Michael Vaughan was in tears, but he said he had Christmas with Warney and his family. And they had the normal meal christmas meal and warney had a lasagna sandwich with extra butter <laughs> and it's just like geez you know and then then diet pills and warney mm. warney warney wake up you know you i'm sure someone wants to shake him now uh like uh, Elvis we, we didn't want to lose you. banana sandwiches isn't it <laughs> we, we we don't we didn't want to lose you and uh you know it, it's now too late so yeah real mixture of emotions um, and all of tributes are fine and great. He was wonderful. Again, I was lucky enough to be there for the hat trick, and at nineteen ninety three, but Manchester in ninety seven. Uh, then, as I said, the seven hundredth at, at Boxing Day. Yeah, look, just so many thrills. Almost, someone a mate said he almost like Ablett Senior football. You know that you he would you were there to watch Warney as much as the game. Mm. Uh, I think that's yeah. no no greater tribute to than that. But oh gee, I wish you know I wish this hadn't happened. Really, I think that's yeah. Him as a player, I've never known anyone else to draw you to the TV and keep you there as much as Warney. I think Test match cricket, you don't you, you can dip in and dip out. I think that's the beauty of it. You don't have to watch watch every ball, but you knew when Warney was bowling, you were watching. Uh, and it was that I heard a, an amazing um, quote who's on on the great cricket this week from from a fan that, that that wrote in, and it was like you knew it was summer when when your brother would shout Warney's on, and you'd run to the TV and 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 watch every ball because he drew drew you in. You had to watch um, the way he walked to the crease and and owned the crease, ripping it both ways, um, having a laugh with with the batsman at the same time. You just it was. Impulsive viewing, you had you had to watch, and I do miss those days of of watching when Warney was there. But then also missed the going to miss his analysis of, of the game, his commentary, his um, his perspective on things. It was it was a great great servant to cricket. As I know he he took he took he's taken a lot from the game as well, but I think he's given a lot back. He's given a lot of joy to cricket. He's he's inspired a generation of of leggies. As well as cricketers, I think a lot of people got in the game to be like to be like Warney. Um, mm. So he'll always have that, um, yeah, that positive side of him, as well as the negatives. But again, that's what made that's what made him him. He didn't shy away from the negatives. He kind of lent into them, which is which is kind of cool in its own way. So he'll be sorely missed. And the interesting thing is is that no matter what sport you play, there, there's always or what team you're involved or what level you're involved in. There's always that one person around who wants the moment. So they 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 
hang out for the moment that can turn the game or that can win the team the premiership or do you know win the ashes or whatever the case may be and Shane Warne was that type of player because you you knew Mark Browning Australia would have the opposition you know they'd be breathing down their neck for for a victory you know they'd still need three or four wickets with say maybe 20 overs to to, to go uh, before stumps on day five and whoever was captain would just throw it to Warney. and when you were sitting on your couch at home you go we're in with a big chance here now because mm. if anyone's going to be able to do it, it'll be Warney and he willed Australia to. Like I still remember, I think it was the was it the um, they call it Amazing Adelaide, where Australia came back from the brink. You know that was just Shane Warne saying, "Hey boys, we can still do this. Let yeah. me give me the ball and let me go." And you know he basically bowled Australia to victory in that game, and that was the type of player he was. He wanted the big moments. He wanted the big stage. He wanted to be the man that, that would make the difference. And those people are just invaluable. They, they, they don't grow on trees. They yeah. don't come around all the time. And Shane Warne was one of them. And that's what makes him one of the five best cricketers of all yeah. time, according to wisdom, because he turned almost every game that he played in. The World oh, Sorry, Tom. I was going to say, amazing Adelaide was, was not dissimilar in many ways at the end of day four to Royal Pindy. Um, and... He created something out of nothing. And just quickly go back to 2005 again, um, That that another amazing cricket match was the Edgbaston Test. And again, I was lucky enough to be there and he was his marriage was breaking up and the, the, the gentleman in the holly stand were giving him absolute Larry Dooley about his personal life. And yet it almost roused him. It almost switched him on. He had a fantastic, he got, you know, a bag full of wickets in the second innings and, when he batted, he nearly he, Australia. The game was nearly lost, and on the last day, he nearly won the game with the bat. Mm. I mean, Australia went down in that series. Warney was patching up holes, bat and ball. When McGrath missed out, Warney because of injury couldn't play, which is the two tests we lost. By the way, Tom, um, Warney Warney just filled the gap, and then when they couldn't play uh, the the reverse swing because uh, uh, Marcus Triscothic was putting. Um, uh, Lolly, lolly, um, lolly flavored saliva all over the ball. Warney went into Manchester and made 90. I mean, he was that sort of guy, so competitive. Oh, the, the, the greatest irony, of course, is he dropped Kevin Peterson at the Oval, but he was in a, in a, in the, possibly, as I said, the greatest of all Ashes series. He was easily Australia's man of the series and probably the man of this, the whole series for both sides, which England, you know, one, two, one. Yeah. Amazing blow. I think I think what Mark said before about him being being almost a friend, you felt like you knew him. And I think everyone everyone in Australia felt like they knew him. And he was kind of showed his generosity because he kind of gave a piece of himself to everyone, which I think is is a nice way of, of showing that um showing what everyone what everyone kind of felt for him and and what he meant to the nation. So um what a guy. It'd be it'd be sorely missed, and uh, and amazing to see that the the government have, have already named a stand at the MCG after after him. I think that's a that's a great step, um, and his funeral will be will be held there, which is which is going to be going to be an amazing day for 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 Australians and Victorians alike. Mark Browning, I don't know about you, but but I I um I always thought that that great Southern stand would eventually be named the uh, uh, the WM Laurie stand after Bill Laurie passed, but 
that just shows you the magnitude of what's happened here, that the, the unthinkable has happened and Shane Warne has actually passed before the great Bill Laurie and he, he gets the honour of having the great Southern Stand named after him. But um, it, it's a wonderful recognition by the state government and the MCC. Um, I really think that that, that, um, that just is a, a very fitting tribute to someone who is who, who made the MCG his own in the world of cricket as much as Dennis Lilly did or Greg Chappell or or any of those those great Australian cricketers over the years. The, the Warney owned the MCG. So just throw it out here though, I heard someone ring up 774 that instead of being called the SK Warn stand, it should be just the Shane Warn stand mm. or even the Warney stand because nobody really called him SK Warn except probably even his mother when he was naughty you know, as a kid. I mean, so I thought that was a, I thought that was a relevant point and it'd be interesting to see whether anyone takes that on board, but I don't know what you guys think, but I thought that was fair enough. Shane Warren stand would be a better name. It's not the, uh, it's not the D Walters stand in at the SCG. It's, it's the Doug Walters stand. So, because that's how people remember them. I don't think I'd want it called the Warney stand, but I think the, the, the Shane Warne stand would be would be fitting. But I suppose it's got to fit in with the other stands there. You know, like the the is it the uh, the W uh, M Ponsford stand? Is it is it or what's what's Ponsford? Ponsford? I just call it Ponsford stand. I don't. don't yeah. I think people call it the Warney anyway. No. The, the, the people will call it that anyway. Yeah. Are they going to put the name on it before they knock it down? Because it's they're saying they're going to knock it down and rebuild it. So. Uh... Oh, they're going to put it on, and then when they knock it down, they're going to put it back on again. Okay. <laughs> well, we're just about wrapping up our program now, guys, as, of course, we reflect on the fact uh, that the first test between Pakistan and Australia was drawn, of course, and Imam Al-Haq, for his two overs done for nine, was awarded the man of the match. Oh, also had yeah. something to do with his outstanding 157 and unbeaten 111. And, of course, we have a second test beginning on the 12th, which is something to look forward to. Starting at 4 p.m., we just need to make sure that we've got a wicket that does offer something to the bowlers. Otherwise, it'll be a very, very dull series. Well, I was going to say, we're moving from the Princess Highway to the uh, to the Westgate Freeway. Uh, that, that I mean, look, I, I, I tried not to be critical in situations like this because it was such a big moment the hype leading up to this test match was unbelievable. You know, first time Australia had toured Pakistan in years, all that sort of stuff, all the excitement around the world at this. The curator had one job. He had one job, and that is to prepare a wicket that would potentially give us a result in this test match. And instead, he served up an absolute road. So, you know, hopefully we get a, a more conducive uh, test match this time around and, and hopefully we might even get a result, boys. Mm. Yep, let's hope so. Well, unfortunately, that concludes this week's edition of the Inside Edge Cricket Podcast. We hope you can join us again next week for a little more levity and a bit more talk about the Pakistan series. We'll know a great deal more by then. But it's been a fantastic tribute to dearly loved characters of the Australian cricket scene, Shane Warne and Rod Marsh. And my thanks to Mark Browning, Mark Brunger and Tom Meredith.